This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you for coming. I'm sorry that I missed you the last two weeks. One week I was in Israel, one week I was in Florida. Anyway, <clears throat> so before we start, so I just once again, um, whoever's watching out there for the people that are here, Baruch Hashem, two years ago, almost a year and a half ago, I wrote a book together with Rabbi Finkelman. It's called Let There Be Rain on Akar Satov. We are now almost up to 11 thousand copies that we sold. We're very proud of that. Um, every single day in the book, there is um, there's a way to donate. There's a way to put your name. Um, there's actually 178. So it's 178 times 2, which is 360, 366. No, it can't be 66. 356. Um so what we did is that every single day we gave someone this chus to dedicate their that day for learning so Baruch Hashem we sold out the dedications right away and um, with 356 dedications and we printed the book but a lot of people said to me Rabbi Wallstein especially men they, they would like to have a pocket sized book like this so that they could put it in their tefillin bag, their talis bag, and they go to shul, and they can learn every single day, a lesson a day. They can't take this. And women were saying that they want to have a pocket size to put in their pocketbook, even though some women have pocketbooks that are like suitcases, and this would fit. <laughs> this one would fit too, but um, yeah, it makes it a lot easier to have this one. So, so we need to. We're doing dedications for the small one, new dedications for the small one. And uh, we need to do 356 dedications. Baruch Hashem, today, last night, we were up to um, 308. Today we're past that. So we need about 40 more dedications. Once we get those dedications, we can print the pocket size. So the next 40 people who dedicate will help us get this printed. We want to print it by Purim. I don't want to wait till Pesach. So the next 40 get a special schluss. Whoever donates, it's $360, but it's lo'elam void. In other words, we can never take another dedication for that day of learning. So whoever ever learns this book in 20 years, 50 years, 80 years, 100 years from now, that name's going to be on the bottom of it. So it's $360 forever. You can pay five, over five checks, seven checks, whatever it is, but it's a, it's a dedication. A lot of people call up like, uh, my yard side, it's you, this and that. Somebody took it. Oh, forget it, it hangs up. Doesn't matter. If you dedicate, if you dedicate in, in memory of someone's um, memory, right? It doesn't have to be on their yard site. You can do it in the middle of the year. If you want to dedicate a safe Torah, let's say in memory of your father or somebody, right? You don't have to dedicate it on his yard site. Whenever you dedicate it, it's in memory of his father. So I don't even understand that. So whoever wants to dedicate these four dedication, 40 dedications, it doesn't have to be on any special day. Every day that you dedicate, people will learn Torah. And whatever it says on the bottom, Elinishmas for a marriage, for an anniversary, a birth, whatever it is, It'll count. It doesn't have to be on the day that you got married. If it's three months later and the date is open, then when they learn it that day, it's going to be in honor of the day that you got married. So I'd love to get this thing printed. I just need 40 more dedications. Whoever can, man or women, whoever could do it, um, please, please, please. Do I have the number? Ah, you have to have a phone number. You have to call, right? Let's see. Ooh, I do have the number. Look at this. The number is 917... 917- Four 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 seven five five five. Just call that number nine one seven four 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 seven five five five. So last night I had forty eight left. 
We sold eight today, so I only have 40 left. Baruch Hashem. So 917-444-7555, call that number, they'll call you back, and I would love to be able to sit it next week and say, sold out, we're going to print. If you don't want to call because you're bashful, and you're scared to talk to people on the phone, and you just want to... You just want to send an email. You're like a total introvert, right? And you want to send an email, and you happen to chas v'shalom have email, then you can send it to info at hakarasatov um, initiative dot com. Info is I N F O at you know what that is. That's a symbol. Hakaras H A K A R A S Hatov H A T O V initiative um, I N I A T I V E dot com. Info at hakarasatov initiative dot com. You can send them. That you want, you want to, you want to dedicate a page. And Amit Hashem, I'm very excited that, um, I'd love to go to print. I want to go to print. I, I want to see, I want to go to Shul and see it in like people's palace bags. It'll be like very exciting for other walls. Okay. So I was in Eretz Yisrael. As you know. And Rabbi Gamliel, my Rebbe, who must be learning with Elio Anavi because he's producing a safer every like two months. And these are like really big svarim, and I don't know how he's doing it. And I told him, are you learning with Elio Anavi? He didn't say no. So I don't know. So I don't know for him. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. But to produce these svarim that fast, something's going on. Anyway, so tonight we're talking about the fifth commandment. It's a tough one. It's called Kivit of the Aim. Honoring your, mother, your father and your mother. It's a tough, tough one of the of the ten asarasadivas, and it happens to be found in the first five of the Ten Commandments, not the second five. The second five of the Ten Commandments talks about Bain Adam Lachavero, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't be jealous, you shouldn't kill, right? The first five talks about Asan Hashem. Why did you put Kibbut of Aim, honoring our parents, right, in the first five? It's between us and Hashem. Okay, some parents think they're God, but that's not the reason. That cannot, that definitely cannot be the reason. So, what, what is the reason? Rabbi Gamaliel decided to write a safer on Kibbutz of Aim. Because it's a very big thing. When you walk into him, the first thing he says, you say, what should I work on? It's Minion, right? But if you're a girl, Kibbutz of Aim. By him, Kibbutz of Aim is the biggest, and he wrote a fantastic safer. And Lemaisa, if you learn Hitler's Kibbutz of Aim, which I started learning in my teaching in my seminary, Reish Mem, it's Reish Mem in, in uh, Shulchan Aruch. Um, it's really fascinating and it's really hard to do Kibbutz Vayim correctly. So there's a lot of questions and tonight I didn't bring a Shulchan Aruch with me, even though it's upstairs, but we're very late, so maybe we'll start the next year. I think that every time we sit here and have a shir, we should learn once if in Kibbutz Vayim. What do I do if my parents are screaming and yelling and hitting me? Do I stand there and let them do that? Or do I get up and run away? What happens if every time I call my mother from Israel or wherever I am, she gets on the phone and she yells and screams at me and then I have the most miserable Shabbos because she's very verbally abusive. Do I have, do I have to call her anyway or do I, do I not call her? Send her just a message. What is Kibbutz of Aim? Do I have to be there and take a beating or can I run out? So what are the halachas? And really most people don't know. I do not understand why in no girls schools and in no boys schools they don't teach Chichas Kibbutz of Aim. It's in the Ten Commandments, just like Shabbos. They teach Shabbos, Lama Tesmolachis. They don't teach Hilchus Kivod of Aim. In Shulchan Aruch, there's a thing, place called Hilchus Kivod of Aim. Nobody knows the laws. My Rebbe didn't let me play hockey with my father. We went to ask a Because in hockey, I might take a shot and the puck might hit my father, which will cause him a black and blue. And if you cause the appearance of black and blue, you chay misa. 
So he said, you can't play hockey. When your father's on the court, you can't play hockey. So you have to be so careful. It talks a lot about a doctor. Are you allowed to take a blood? Are you allowed to take blood from your mother or father? No, you're not. You have to find another doctor. I, it's for medical reasons, right? Allah is you're not. So the, the, you know, you have to be very careful. You're not allowed to, you know, you if you curse your parents. You can't curse your parents. You curse your parents, you You cause a bruise. Doesn't have to bleed, bleed. You cause a, br- a bruise, right? You me, a bruise is bleeding underneath the skin. So be very, very careful because the basis of Kivarim is based on what the world is based on. It's based on the book that I wrote. I wrote, I mean, the book I wrote is based on, on, on Hakar Satov. It's based on Hakar Satov. And you need to know the reason that the first five, which is made Al-Machaber or Kivarim is in it, is because all the questions you have on God, you have on your parents. All the questions you have on your parents, you have on God. Right? I talk to kids all the time, and I'm like, you know, you got, you're so fresh to your parents, you gotta be, what do you mean? Why do I have to be? I'm like, what are you talking about? They brought you into the world. Did I ask them to bring me into the world? They decided to bring me into the world? So I owe them something? Did I ask them to bring me into the world? Who asked them to bring me into the world? They should have left me up there. I'm like, you and Gehenna. Oh, okay, it's good they brought me to the world. No, but seriously, like, so, so we say the same thing about God. God, I have to listen to God? Who asked him to bring me to the world? So what do I have to listen to him for? I didn't ask him. I don't want to be here. And I'm not even allowed to leave. Now that I commit suicide, I can't leave. He put me somewhere I don't want to be. What's going on over here? Why do I owe him anything? Same questions that you have on Kibbutz of Aim, you have on Kibbutz Baruch If you can't answer those questions when it comes to your parents who, who kissed you, who love you, who took care of you, I don't care. How abusive a person's parents are. And, and you don't have to take abuse, by the way. You, you get out of there. You, there's no halacha that you need to stay in your house. No such halacha. If, you, if you're getting emotionally abused, or physically abused, or sexually abused, or any of that stuff, pick yourself up and get out. There's no kibbutz. There's no such thing. It doesn't say, it says if you, the, the, the halacha is if your parents lose something and you lose something, you have to, you, and you can only save one of them, you save yours. It's an interesting thing. I, I had a, We'll talk about this later, maybe in the shim. Maybe I'll talk about it now. I had these two girls came to my office. And they're totally rebelling. And they're, they're sitting in my office, and they're like, you know what I don't like about Judaism? I'm like, no, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> it's all about God. Everything's about God and his, his religion and his books. It's all about him. My parents don't love me. Now, a lot of kids have this tie up. They don't love me. They love that I listen to what I... In other words, if I put, I put on a pair of pants, they threw me out. Now, the pants doesn't change that I'm their child. So if they're willing to throw me out for a pair of pants, they don't love me. They love me. They wouldn't throw me out no matter what I do. They love Hashem's Torah. God's... His whole Judaism is about Him. You gotta pray, you gotta fast, you gotta make a bracha, you gotta say ashiyatsu when you come out of the bathroom, you gotta put this shoe on, you gotta put that shoe on, you can't wear linen, you can't wear wool. It's a religion, it's all about him. We don't count. Two girls sitting in front of me, 19 years old. We don't count. In this religion, people don't count. Only God counts. They were really angry. I said, you finished? Yes. Okay, my turn. I said, this is the only religion that God says he doesn't count at all you you come first what are you saying I'm like if a person's in danger his life is in danger you could eat chazer you could eat pig 
You could be Mechalel Shabbos. You could be Mechalel Yom Kippur. Hashem says, when it comes to Pekuach Nefesh, when it comes to a person's life, I step aside. Everything that I stand for, except the three cardinal mitzvos, if someone puts a gun to you and says, commit adultery or bow down, or, or, or what's it called, or kill someone else, so you, you, have, you have to give up your life for that. Only three things. And the halacha is that if you don't, you're not chayev. That's what you should do. But if someone comes up to you, puts a gun in your head and says, bow down to the idol, or I'll kill you, so you should say, kill me, but if you don't, because you want to live, and you're scared, and you bow down to the idol, Shukran says, patur. Even the three cardinal sins, if it comes to save your life, Hashem steps aside. I'm like, what are you saying? It's just the opposite of what you girls are saying. He steps aside. His whole religion, Shabbos, look at that solar cars and, and sirens and ambulances and all this stuff. And everyone's being Mechal Shabbos. Why? Because he can't get a burn. Hashem says, ah, step it aside, can't get a burn. Someone cut their hand and they're bleeding and they need stitches. Cars, driving, sirens, electricity, lights, everything. Is Doicha Shabbos when it comes to Pekuach Nefesh. So the only religion that God says, you come before me, is Judaism. You have it all wrong. I have girls that are in, that are in, in rehabs that in the morning have bacon and eggs. Chazer. They eat chazer every morning. Chasidish girls. Because that's what they serve in the rehab. And I went to Gedalim, and I went to the Stalin Arab, and I went to Rebbe's, where these kids were going, and I'm like, isn't it better to have a sick Jewish from girl than a sober guy? I'm going to send her to rehab, she's going to come out a healthy, not believing in Hashem, a Mormon, eating chazer? I mean, who says you come to the next world and you were drunk your whole life, that you're going to, they're going to put you in Gehenna for that? No. So if the girl sits and drinks whiskey all night, she's drunk her whole life, she comes to the next world, she's going to go to get, what she do? I mean, is it going to be a punishment for it? But this girl I'm selling to rehab, she's going to go, she's going to eat chazer, she's not keeping Shabbos, pretty much they're going to, they're going to missionize her, she's going to come out as a, as a, what's the word I'm looking, a liberal, because they're very liberal, that you can do whatever you want, because I'm a liberal, not religious, not keeping any of the mitzvahs. Maybe you're going to marry a guy, eating treif. Should I send her there or let her stay drunk? Let her stay on drugs. Let her smoke up every day. No. We're the same in the Torah, you can't smoke up every day. Okay, it says v'chaim b'hem. There is a, a law, but it's not eating pork. And the answer is wrong, Rabbi Wallerstein. Every rabbi, every rub, every paisik. To Hashem, it's more important that she's alive. All the other stuff, not your business. She's alive. Ah, they missionized her, they gave her pork, they did all these things. Halacha is pikuach nefesh doiches So I told these girls, you're so far off. You're so far off that it's all about God. God says, it's all about you. And if your life is in danger, I step aside with my whole Torah, with all my rules, Rabban and Daraisa, your life's in danger, have a good day. On Yom Kippur, a pregnant woman walks past, walks past a restaurant, smells the meat, feels like she might miscarry. 
You have to give her food on Yom Kippur that she shouldn't miscarry. That's an if, that's a maybe. That's not a child that's even alive yet. So you have to be machal Yom Kippur. Maybe if she smelled the food and now she wants it, if she's not going to get it, she's going to miscarry, you have to give it to eat. She didn't have a miscarriage. The child wasn't born yet. The child's not alive yet. I mean, it's alive in the mother's womb. Yeah, yeah. The mission says, a house collapses. You're not sure if there's someone in the house. You're not sure if the person in the house is Jewish. You're not sure if the person in the house that the house fell on is alive. Because to, to be machal Shabbos with someone dead, you're not allowed to. What's the halacha? The mission says, bring a tractor, be machal Shabbos, and lift all the debris. Ah, you don't even know if there's someone in there. You might lift all the debris, Michal Shabbos, and the house is empty. You might lift all the debris and the guy's dead. The Torah says, on the sveik, sveik, suffix, on the maybe of a maybe of a maybe, that there might be someone in there and he might be alive, be Michal Shabbos. On a suffix, be Michal Shabbos. So, I told them, I said, I don't know who taught you your Torah, but it's the opposite. God says the opposite. You come before me. Your life that you're alive comes before me. And you're allowed to be machalo anything to live. And they were like, wow, nobody ever taught us that way. I'm like, come on, you know that. You know pikuach nefesh deiches hakol. You know what, you can be machalo Shabbos to save someone's life. My rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel, is heart sick. He takes 15 pills a day. Because he doesn't want to have a heart operation. He's got stents. He's, he's hard. He's, he's, he takes a lot of pills. So what bothers him very much is Yom Kippur. Is to take these pills on Yom Kippur. So he said the first time, he was like thinking, if you take the pills every day and you miss one day, it doesn't kill you. Many times people forget, and right? It's not going to kill you. But the, the real way to do it is you have to take your medicine every day. So he said, ah, I'll skip one day. Well, Yom Kippur, I don't want to drink on Yom Kippur. He's a holy of the holy of the holies. He's a God of Hadar. He doesn't want to be Mechal Yom Kippur. So he went to his Rebbe. He told his Rebbe, what about skipping one day? And the Rebbe said that if you don't, if you don't drink and take your medicine on Yom Kippur, not, he says, you're doing an Avera. Because as the mitzvah says, v'chaibahem. And the medicine is supposed to help you live. Hashem's not going to just say, oh, it's okay that you, you did a mitzvah. You're not doing what you're doing an Avera. He said, but when you take your medicine on Yom Kippur to keep your heart okay, that's a mitzvah to eat on Yom Kippur. Not a hector. It's a mitzvah to eat on Yom Kippur. V'chaibahem. It's very different than the way we look at the way Hashem treats us. We come first in His eyes. He comes second. It's very important to know that. So, before I get into Hillel's Kivadavah Aim, I went, when I went there to Israel, there's something that's been bothering me for a very, very long time. And I felt that I need to talk to Rabbi Gamliel, my Rebbe, and another Gadol about this, this question that I had. And it's not a five-minute question. I need to sit by them, and they have to give me hours, because it's like it's a game changer. So, I went to my Rebbe first, and I said, "Rabbi Gamliel, I have a problem. And this is my problem. I can't teach this generation by telling them that if you do a sin, you're going to go to hell." If you do a different kind of sin, you're going to get kares. And another sin is misa. And another sin is chanek. 
another sin is, ma- is ma- malchus, and another sin, your kids will die while you're alive, and another sin, if you look at the wrong things after you die, that malchus is going to come and pop your eyes out, and all these different things. I'm saying, I said to him, I said, the generation doesn't want to deal with an angry, vengeful God that burns you, like, you know, like you go up to the next world because you didn't even want to be here, and you're human, and you made some mistakes, and then he says, ah, I got you. Okay, is she ready yet? The bar- Let's turn her over, like the barbecue, you know? Is that side done yet? Put some sauce on, put some Dougie's, you know, barbecue sauce on them. What's going on over here? How, 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 it, it, this generation doesn't want to deal with a God that, that, that's a punishing, angry, vengeful God. But that's what, that's what they're being told. Step out of line, bang! Oh, not now. He'll get you later. I said, I want to have a God that loves me and is nice to me and cares about me and doesn't want to hurt me. I said, I can't teach this anymore. I can't. It's, it's not the God that I want. It's not the God that I can live in this. I can't. I can't. I can't live in a world believing that he just sits up there and he just punishes people all day. But that's what kids are being taught. And some people are, some of the speakers, that's what they're saying. Like, you're going to burn, and then you're going to burn, and they're going to cut your arms off, they're going to hang you by your feet, and all these things. And I'm like, who wants to, who wants to be in such a religion? Who wants to have such a God? But the Torah says that if you're Machal Shabbos, they're going to stone you. And if you, you do something with a woman that you're not supposed to, they're going to choke you, and they're going to pour lead down your mouth, straight for, and all these crazy, all this stuff, all these punishments. The Torah says it. Well, how am I supposed to live with that? And then there's a place called Gehenim that everybody's scared of with a big fire. And not only that, there's a Gehenim of Aish and there's a Gehenim of Sheleg. There's an ice Gehenim and there's a fire Gehenim. And the ice Gehenim is worse than the fire Gehenim because the fire Gehenim burns you. Did you ever touch ice that's very, very cold? You put your finger on it and you get burnt, Right? That's the Gehenim of Shelley. Not only do you freeze, but you get burnt at the same time. That's a tough one. So I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, hello? That's it. He sits up there and he's like, Shelley, fire. Not ready yet. Another month. Ten months. Eleven months. You know, let the kids die young. Cancer. Like, what? So how could you live in such a... I said to my Rebbe, how do I explain this? My God is a loving father. And a lot of kids come to me and say, like, if, 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 if my father treated me the way God treated me, I'd run away. If, if that's the, the whole life is about do something bad, you're going to get punished. Do something bad, you're going to get punished. And we're human beings, and it's very hard, and it's a struggle. So I said, Rebbe, like, what's the deal with this? How, how do I go about speaking and teaching it? It's a heavy question. Especially from someone who's educating Kaisel, who gets up to speak, for me it's a very heavy question, and for me it is a very heavy question because I don't believe that's where Shem is. But but it does say that it does say that. So he sat there and he said to me something. It was very interesting because it's someone something that I talk about all the time, but I never spoke about it to Rabbi Gamliel. It was my own thing. So he said to me. Yeah, he said, I'm going to give you a parable to understand. He said, it's not a punishment. Yes, if, if going to hell and burning was a punishment, he's an evil, mean, angry God. 
I agree. If going through this world and having Yisurim, going through pain and loss, was a punishment, then he's an angry, mean, vengeful God. He said, but it's not. He said, it's not a punishment. It's a consequence. A consequence is not mean and angry. You drop a glass on the floor and it breaks. The consequence of dropping a crystal on the floor that it breaks is a consequence. The floor is not angry. The glass is not angry. The glass is not angry at the floor. The floor is not angry. So when Hashem created the world, He created physical consequence. You go into water and you want to live underwater, you don't have gills. You're going to drown. You take a fish and you put him on the fanciest chair in your house and put a little hat on him and a coat, he's going to die because he lives in water. Is, is the world angry at him, at the fish? No. Fish is in water. Is the water angry at me? The person that drowns, is the water angry at the person? No. A person can't breathe underwater. So God created, when he created the world in the six days, he created consequences in the physical world. You put your finger in fire, it's going to burn. You can say all the prayers that you want. Unless he does a miracle where he changes the consequence. That is a miracle, by the way. A miracle is when the consequence is changed. You, you go into water and you go over your nose and the water splits. The consequence should be that you drown. The consequence is changed that the water split. That's a miracle. The mir- miracle is when the natural consequence that God created changes. So Hashem created these consequences, consequences in the physical world. You take a needle, you stick it in your finger, it's going to hurt. In the spiritual world, at the same time that he created the physical world, he created the, the spiritual world. And in the spiritual world, there are the same consequences as there are in the physical world. So you can hurt yourself in the spiritual world as much as you can hurt yourself in the physical world. Now, when you cut your hand in the physical world and you're bleeding, you get stitches to change the consequence. You get stitches. The consequence of cutting yourself is to bleed to death. You change the consequence by stitching the hand. Now the consequence is that you got stitches in your hand and it's going to hurt and it's going to come out. The consequence changed drastically. In the spiritual world, it's the same thing. In the spiritual world, when you do an Aveira, it affects your soul. Now your soul has to be fixed because what God really wants from His children, from Emin Neshama, He wants that Neshama to bathe in His light. But to bathe in His light, you cannot come in. The example that my Rebbe gave me, he said, a guy is coming to a wedding and he has a terrible stomach virus and he ends up defecating out of control, all over his clothing and his shoes and all everything. Terrible. All over everything. And he wants to come into the wedding. The consequence of defecating, making all over yourself, is you can't walk into the wedding. Because you stink. And you smell. And if you walk into that wedding, everyone's going to run out. So there's a consequence to that happening to you. Now, if I come along and take this guy to a hotel and give him a shower and scrub him, because some of the stuff dried on him, and I have to scrub him and put soap on him and give him, and give him cologne and, 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 and deodorant and buy him, I have to buy him new clothing, shirt, tie, shoes, everything was full of all that stuff. <coughs> Am I angry? Am I vengeful? 
Is that what I am? Because I clean them up? You know, you tell me, Rabbi, you're tzaddik. You made it possible for him to come to the wedding. You're the biggest tzaddik in the world. So when you come to the next world and you're full of tzaya, because of all the sins that you did, you defecated all over your soul, and that soul cannot come into the chutzner of Hashem because it's filthy and it smells. So Kosh Baruch says to the Malachim, take it for a shower. Take it to the Gehenim, to the spiritual Gehenim, whatever that means, and clean it up because I want my child to be at the party. So that makes him vengeful and mean, just the opposite, he's a tzaddik. I said, Rebbe, I have to argue with you, I'm sorry. He said, what? I said, if that guy showed up at my wedding, my daughter's wedding, I don't have time to take him to the first shower and everything. I would put him in the corner. I would take a tablecloth and wrap him around so no one could see what, what he's, what's going on with him. And I would tell the waiters, you have to feed him. So why for sure do you have to clean him up? Maybe Hashem could just like wrap, you know, like, like don't put you in your head on him. Just like sort of wrap you up in something that you could sit there. So he looked at me, Rabbi Gamliel's, Rabbi Gamliel for a reason. He looked at me and he says, he says, Zachariah, you totally misunderstood my parable. The guy in my story, he's not a guest. He's the chassan. The chassan on the way to the wedding it happened to. So what? You're going to just tell everyone, go to the chassan to the other side, wrap him in a sheet, and the the, the, the collar's going to stand there next to him? And, 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 the, and, the, and the rabbi who can't stand, can't stand the smell, so he's going to do kedushin from the other side of the room? Of course not. He says, you're the chassan. The neshama is the chassan. Kishbach was the collar. He's standing there. He said, I want the soul to be with me. <laughs> Look what it looks like. So you sue him in this world, and everything that goes on in the next world, it's a cleaner's. You're on the way to the wedding, and you're drinking Hawaiian punch, and it ends up all over your shirt and all over your dress. And you're like, I can't walk into the wedding like this. I can't. So you go to the cleaners, and they have this one-hour cleaners, and you give it to the cleaners to clean. You're angry at your shirt. You're punishing your shirt. Yeah, it has to go tumble dry. It's not easy. It's like a hand Right? They put it in the dryer. It's hot. They had them. Then they, they dry chemicals and whoa, it's Gehenim Shalash, Gehenim Shalak. That poor shirt, what it goes through, tumble dry. Then they press it. Shh. That's Gehenim, right? It's hot. Right? Your shirt goes through Gehenim. But it comes out white and starchy and clean. He says, that's what this is all about. We got it all wrong. You're right. If this is a punishment, God's mean, evil God sits there and punishes and punishes. No, he wants you to sit on his lap. But he can't put you on his lap like this. I said, Rebbe, I got you. That's a whole different understanding of what God is and what our life is. So yes, when we go through Yisurim and all these things, for whatever, this Gilgal, that Gilgal, for whatever it is, that is the cleanup so that when we come to Hashem in the next world, we can sit on His lap. Otherwise we can't. Because we, we we, we're not clean enough. We're at the wedding and we smell. It's a... Uh, it's a Neuidical lesson, and it's something that bothered me. It's been bothering me for months. And I went to another God all about it. He told me exactly the same words. It's not punishment. It's a punishment. You're right. He's evil. He punishes and punishes and punishes. He doesn't punish. He wants you to be clean. So you have to, you have to go through Yisum in this world, some people in that world, some people more here, some people left there. But then when they come up, they're like, at the wedding, I'm in. I'm in. I'm sitting on, I'm, I'm sitting on God's lap. I'm in his R. It's called his R. Because Bokh is a certain light. If you just sit in that light, you have to be clean. You can't stink. You can't stink. You have to be clean. So there's a, cle- there's a cleansing 
There's a cleansing project. There's a cleansing way of, of getting clean. And we don't even understand because there's a lot of Midrashim that even if you go to Gehenna, they clean you sometimes without pain. If you have Torah, if you have Chesed, there's all kinds, God put in all these different things. And then he does Tshuva, he has Tshuva. Tshuva's crazy. You don't got to go to Gehenna. You don't got to have Yisurim. You can get rid of the, the dirt. You know, it's like that little, um, some of the women here will know what I'm talking about. You get a stain, there's this little tide thing that you, that, that you just scratch and the stain comes off. No cleaners, just a little thing. Tide makes it. It's good to have in your pocketbook. Right? Chuba. What does chuba do? Chuba removes the stain. So if you do chuba on the Avera, it doesn't exist. You don't smell. It didn't happen. We don't use we don't use that. We only use that Yom Kippur. We can use it all year round. You can use it every moment of your life. You can erase. You come to Shemaim like, oh come on, God, not eleven months of, of Gehenna and this and that. And Shem's like, hey. I gave you an eraser. Why don't you erase the board before you got here? I gave you an eraser. I gave you chuva. What? It's not my fault. I gave you an eraser. Why don't you use it? I gave you dry cleaners every day. Before you go to sleep at night, you do chuva. What you did wrong that day? Dry cleaner, dry cleaner, dry cleaner. You're clean. You don't got to suffer. Who says you have to suffer? Shem says, I'm giving you a present. I'm changing the consequence. It's a miracle. Chuva had to be created before the world. It says in Zaya that Chuba was created before the world. It had to be, because this world was created with consequence. You do something in physics. Physics, if you physics is the is the world, is the, is the physical world, right? Any girl who ever took physics, I took a little bit of physics, right? In the beginning of physics, the first thing that's taught when you open the book, every action has a reaction. The basis of physics is Move this molecule, that moves another molecule. As little kids, you had those, those six little marbles. You drop the marble from this side, potential energy, kinetic energy. Show them off a little bit, but anyway, right? You drop the marble from this place, it hits this one, this one pops out. You drop it on this side, this one pops out, right? Every action has a reaction. That is the basics of physics. That is the basics of physics because that's the basic of how we have created the world. So now, if I do an Aveira, it has a reaction. It causes a blemish on my soul. Tshuva means that I did an Avera and I'm going back and I'm making that the Avera never happened. It erases the sin. In a world of every action has a reaction, my tshuva causes that my action has no reaction. That can't be in this world. That had to be created before the world of every action has a reaction. And that's why the Zoya says the tshuva was created before the world. Because what's the reaction? I didn't have error. There's no reaction. Just the opposite. It's blank. If I do it me'ahava, it's even crazier. If I do it me'yira, so they erase what I did. So there's no reaction. If I did it out of love, I did tshuva out of love, then the, 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 the avera that I did, the stain, becomes my new suit. becomes a mitzvah. That's totally out of hand. It's totally out of control. And I told these girls, this is a mean, angry God who only cares about himself. And he says, you can hit me. You can do every Avera. If you do tshuva, forget it. You didn't even do it. And if you do tshuva me'ava, I'm going to count it as a mitzvah. I'm like, you're so out of your minds. The game don't believe that. If you do tshuva, it becomes a mitzvah. I'm like, God's telling the Jewish nation, do tshuva and I'll turn your Avera. You ate chazer. You do tshuva me'ava. We're going to go back. You're about tshuva. You're growing up, you don't know anything. You eat every day, you go and you have pork. And then you become a bal tshuva. 
you find out about Jewish religion, and your mama used to do tshuva on every piece of pork and shrimp that you ever ate. And you come into the next world, you didn't eat pork, you made a, you made a bracha hamaytzi on a sandwich. And the sultan's like, what are you talking about? That's before she became about tshuva. She was eating pork, I was there. Thursday, September 6th, at 10 in the morning, I was there. I'm the one who wrote the report, says the sultan. She ate pork. But the movie's showing, she's eating entomic cakes. She's like, he's freaking out. He's like, this is a lie. Who got a hold of the pictures? Who, who doctored this? And they're like, she was eating entomic cake. Not entomic, Wiseman's. Pashis <laughs> row. She made a mezainus in an ala And the person's standing like, I wasn't all true, but I, was, I wasn't eating all rice and cake. And the malachim are like, shut up. <laughs> just, just, just let us, let us do what we gotta do. It's crazy. If you really know who God is, it's crazy what he gives us. And then I spoke to my Rebbe about emuna and bitachan. What's the difference? What's the difference between emuna and bitachan? Amen. What's the difference? Bitachan means I believe, emuna means I believe. What's the difference between Bitachan and Amuna? I have a very fantastic story to tell you about my father, Oliver Shalom, which I spoke over in Eretz Yisrael. What's the difference? Bitachan means I believe, and Amuna means I believe. So this is what Bitachan means. I have this friend, and in the circus, he walks the tightrope. And there's a, underneath, there's a, you know, a huge canvas thing, net, to catch him if he falls. He's been doing this for 25 years. He don't fall. He does not fall. He is amazing. Somebody comes to him and challenges him and says, I'll give you $100,000 if you do tightrope in the, uh, in the, what's it called? In Arizona. What is it called over there? The Grand Canyon. He turns to me and goes, hey, Zach, you think I should do it? $100,000? No net. 10,000 feet down. I'm like, hey, you've done it on a unicycle. You've done it on one foot. What's the difference? What's underneath you? A hundred grand? Of course you should do it. He says, you sure I can do it? I'm like, I'm sure you can do it. You'll come with me? I'm like, sure, I'll come with you. We go to the Grand Canyon. This, the ropes across all the newspaper. They were taking pictures. He's like, whoa, that's a lot. If you fall, that's a lot. He says, Scott, you sure I can do it? I'm like, what do you think? He goes, no problem. I can do it in my sleep. I'm like, okay, I believe in you. I believe in you. You can do it. He says, you sure you believe in me? I'm like, I believe in you. You sure? 100%. I'm like, 100%. You think I let my best friend walk across the Grand Canyon and fall? To be sure. I'm like, I'm sure. He goes, good. Get on my shoulders. <laughs> That's the difference between the moon and Bitochen. Bitochen is, yeah, I'm sure you could go across. And moon is getting on his shoulders. Whole different level. It's the best answer there is in the world. Yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. You could do it, you could do it, you could do it. Okay, no problem. Get on my shoulders. That's it, Morna. I, I was I was talking in, in the seminary this week. You know, you know, you read the books Garden of Amuna and all these other books, and you you're a little bit upset sometimes that you know what I have Amuna, but I don't, but I'm a little scared. We have to realize that we're human beings, and it's very normal. You know, Amuna Amuna is not getting on the shoulders. I, I mean, be, be talking. We have to be talking. I, I remember when I had my kidney stones crushed, so it's a whole thing. They put you out. It's a, it's a whole operation, whatever. So I was a little nervous because the anesthesia was. Uh, you never know anesthesia if you're going to wake up. You could be allergic to it, you could die, you could you hear crazy stories. At that time, someone had just died actually in, in Shiva Flatbush. They, they went through some surgical thing, a girl, she died from the anesthesia. So there I am going down, and they, they, I'm laying in a bed, and they come with this shot called Demerol, 
and they're like, okay, we're going to count to 10, Mr. Wallstein. At 10, you're going to be fast asleep. Now they lie, because at 4, you're done. You never make it to 10. You count 1, 2, 3, and you're gone. So I said, can I have one second before you put me out? And they said, sure. And I said, Adon Olam. And I said, Uviyado Avkidruchi. In my, in your hands, Hashem, I am putting my spirit. I may never wake up again, right? I may yes wake up again. I am going out and I am putting my spirit in your hands. And it sort of made me feel much more comfortable. I'm in Hashem's hands and if he decides not to, you know, to take me up there and not to bring me back, that's his choice. But to sit here and tell you honestly that I didn't have a little pit in my stomach before they put me out, that I was a little scared, of course I was. I had bitachon. I was like, yeah, 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 we can do this, no problem. I probably, yeah, for sure, I believe it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't have a muna. I wasn't getting on a guy's shoulders. So people have to realize, don't kill yourself, don't beat yourself up. We're, we're human beings and we're normal. Of course, we should strive to the point that I'll get on your shoulders, Hashem. I have no problem. You know, I'll do whatever it takes to do. And, and, and Avram Avinu had that. He went into a kifshan of Aish. And that was Imuna. I'm, I'm going into the fire. And I'm sure he wasn't scared at all. But that's a very, very high level of, you know, of belief. So, the person has to work on themselves, but don't make yourself crazy if, oh my God, I was scared. Listen, I talk a lot about this stuff, and I talk a lot about Imuna, and I, I'll be talking in Imuna, and I really thought I had, but I will never forget. I'll never forget. Here I am, I'm the man. I'm there with my wife and my mother-in-law, and my daughter Malki is in labor. And I, they, don't let, they don't let you into the labor room. She's all the way down the hall. And it was an emergency labor, and they don't let you in. And I could just see through the glass that my son-in-law, Duvi, was davening outside her room, not in the room with her. She's having a cesarean, not in the room with her. And he's shaking with a tehillim, and he's shaking. I said to my wife, what is wrong? Why isn't he in the room, number one? Number two, he's shaking like she's in danger. So we had our tehillims out, whatever it is. All of a sudden, they scream, stat. And stat's not good. And they come running with the crash cart. Crash cart is the, the heart thumpers and the whole work, right? And he's shaking over there, and they're running, these four nurses with this cart, they're running to her, to her room. And I'm like, she's dead. She definitely died. Because when you, when you bring the crash cart, that's when the person's heart stops, and you've got to thump it. I'm like, oh my God, my daughter, I lost my daughter. And here's the guy who talks about Amuna and talks about all this stuff, and I just start screaming. I'm like, oh my God. We lost Malky, whatever. I was freaking out. My wife's like, take it easy, calm down, calm down, whatever it is. And she was also free. She was, she needed my strength and I'm flipping out. My mother-in-law sees that. They're all flipping out because Wallstein is the Rebbe and he's not supposed to be flipping out. And he's flipping out because they're crash carting and they're going down to her room. And I'm flipping out and I'm saying, Hashem, you can't do this. Please, please, I'm begging you and I'm, I'm crying and I'm on the floor. I'm, I'm freaking out. I won't crazy. It wasn't her room. <laughs> was the next room. Not that it would make it any better. And Baruch Hashem, they got the woman back. Whatever it was, it didn't make it any better. He said, Duvi, were you shaking like it was sugar out there? I thought that, who knows what happened? He says, no, it's a Sicilian. They don't let the husband watch them cut the wife. So he, I, I said, you know, instead of staying on her head or whatever it is, I'll go outside and I'll dive. And I can't do that inside. So the whole thing was nothing. But I saw it in myself. I walked out and I'm like, you think you have such bitach and you don't. It's good to talk to everybody else. When you're going through it, you already jumped shit. You didn't get on the guy's shoulder crossing, you know, walking the wire. 
so we, we're human and you have to stop making yourself not human you have to try to get to that level it takes time and it takes growth and it doesn't happen right away so I'll tell you a story about my dad um, when it comes to Amuna. this is a true story I spoke about it in Eretz Yisrael I, I hope and I hope that I changed some kids in the, in the yeshiva that I was talking to a little bit about their life so my father had Bitachon and Amuna. he came out of the Holocaust a lot of people out of the Holocaust had Emunah. They, no, they would have no problem jumping on the guy's shoulder. Whatever they believed, they really, really believed. My father had crazy, crazy Emunah in Hashem. So, we are in the plastic bag business. And we sell plastic bags to department stores and shopping centers and things like that. This goes back a while. There was a chain store for women called Petri's. Petri's stores huge 4,000 stores the biggest chain store for women in America everybody wanted their bag business multi multi million dollar contract bag contract my father who only exported from Eretz Yisrael he could have made a lot more money from China he wants to Eretz Yisrael he wants to give Jews a job that was his thing always Jew, only Jews he just wanted only Eretz Yisrael I said dad China is 15% cheaper you can make 50% more Chinese, I want to support the Chinese, support Israel. Have to buy weapons, have to buy, there was nothing to talk, you couldn't talk to them, it's all Israel. Anyway, Milton Petrie at that time was the most famous Jew. He, he pushed the government, he was very connected to Israel. Milton Petrie was the guy to get. My father got an appointment with Milton Petrie. Milton Petrie told my father, he wanted to get the business, my father. He said, I'll meet him for a late lunch. Okay, my mother, she should live long. Was my father's secretary. So they were always together. So they come to this late lunch with Milton Petrie. My father, my mother, and Milton Petrie. I think he had a dog also. Whatever. So he sits down at this lunch. This place called Luigi Siegel's. It was the only kosher place in, Manhattan, in, in New York that you, could, that you could even sit in a restaurant. So they go out to eat. And Petrie's talking about Israel, about this, about that. My father's looking at his watch. Now, my father, Michelle, did not miss Minion. Period. Ever. For anything. There were times that he went to middle America, right? And after his meeting, he flew, instead of flying back to New York from the Midwest, he flew to California for the three hours earlier, get Mincha and Meyer, and then do the overnight. He would fly backwards to make Mincha and Meyer, or he wouldn't go. He would never go anywhere that there was no Mincha and Meyer. Not a vacation, nowhere. He traveled, Richmond, Virginia, he used to travel by car. Rich Virginia, Savannah, Georgia, Jacksonville, Florida. How do I know that? Because he used to go with him once in a while. And the reason he stopped in those three towns on the way to Florida, which was where his business was, was because those three towns were the only towns from New York to the south that you could get a minion. Richmond, Virginia, I'm talking 50 years ago. Savannah, Georgia, and uh, today Savannah, Georgia is much bigger, and Jacksonville, Florida. So he's sitting there with Petrie, and Petrie's talking, talking, talking. My father's looking at his watch, and he's got it down Mincha. About how do you get up in the middle of a meeting with Milton Petrie and like and Don Michael with a minion? So there was a shul not far from Luigi Siegel's, Madison Avenue shul, whatever it was. And my father knew what time they Don Mincha, but he never knew this guy would talk so much. So he was in a pickle because they didn't even like they were in the middle of their eating, whatever it was. So my father says to Petrie, "I just need to excuse myself." It's a true story. I need to excuse myself for a moment. So Petrie says, "Things going to the bathroom." He tells my mother. Listen, I'm Davini Mincha and Meyer because in Muncie, where they lived, 
it was Mincha Meyer together. There was no Meyer at 10 o'clock at night in those days. You had one million, Mincha Meyer finished, have a good day. All the Minyam and Munsi, they thought Mincha and then Meyer. There was no 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock. So, so my father said, I got that Mincha and Meyer. Mincha and Meyer is a half an hour. Now, how do you walk out of a meeting sitting with the, with the, with the man, the most influential Jew in America, and just get up and walk out on him for half an hour? But my father said, I don't care. If I lose the business because of this, so my, he leaves my mother there to talk to this guy for half an hour, and he damns Menchemayev. But Petri was very sharp. My father comes back, and he says to my father, Mr. Wallerstein, where have you been for the last 35 minutes? He was insulted. You don't go to the bathroom for 35 minutes. <laughs> so my father turns to, to Mr. Petri, and he says, uh, Mr. Petri, I, I, I have to apologize, but I had another appointment. He said, excuse me? You walked out of our dinner to another appointment? I don't understand. My father says, I, well, I, I, I respect that you're the chairman of the board of Petrie Stores, but I had to go talk to the chairman of the board of the world. That's what he told him. Those were the words. So Petrie says, excuse me? You talk to the chairman of the board of the world? I mean, come on. My father said, listen, I'm an Orthodox Jew, and you can really talk to him at any time, but there are special three times that he's sort of open to, like, requests and special meetings, and it's in the morning, and it's midday or, or afternoon and, and evening, and the, the evening, afternoon, evening prayers were at 4.30, so I had to, I said, I, he said, my father said, you know, if I don't, if we don't do business with me because of this, I accept it, but I don't miss my group prayer to talk to the chairman of the board of the world. Petrie sits there. He's a short guy. He sits there. He never heard such a thing. He says, Mr. Wallstein, you're a very interesting man. Tomorrow I want you to come up to the office. We're going to give you the contract. My father goes the next day to Petrie stores, to the office. Petrie's not the buyer. He's the chairman of the board. He has a buyer. Hilda was the buyer. So he calls in this woman who was tough as nails tough as nails like she's the, the she's the head CEO of the company so she like runs the company he's the owner but she like nails and she walks in and my father's sitting there he says this is Mr. Wallerstein hi this is Hilda um, I'd like you to give him a three year contract now my father's only going for a one year contract I'd like to give you I'd like to give I'd like you to give him all the business that we have in the bag business and I want you to give him a three year contract so she says, Mr. Petrie, with all respect, shouldn't I price it out? How do we know that he's the best price? So he looks at her and he says to her, Hilda, you don't understand. This man, he talks to the chairman of the board of the world. I don't think any of the competition has a guy like him. I feel very secure that for Petrie stores... If Mr. Wallstein is talking to the chairman of the board, I'm sure that he'll ask the chairman of the board that we should be successful. I think for, for Petri stores, he would be the best bag supplier. <laughs> they became best of friends. Till Petri stores went under, um, because they were bought out, whatever it was, he was the best of friends. My father had carte blanche. He didn't have any competition. That's a Muno.
It's a moon. Who would do that? You're crazy. You're going to get up in the middle of the sea. Ah, Hashem, I'll go in the corner and by the bathroom, by the telephone booth. I'll be a chidus for 10 minutes. I'll do minchem. I have a good day. What do you mean? I should lose business? My father felt, if I lose business because I dive into Hashem, then he's not really Hashem. It doesn't make sense. I'm diving to Hashem, that's why I lose business, then he's not Hashem. He had that business, and that business led him to other business. Don't ask. Yeah, that's Imuna, that's Bitoch. And I spoke about this. I said, that's my dad. That's, who, that's, that's where I learned. And I try really, I don't, I can, I don't know. If I, did I ever miss Minion? I don't know. I can count it on my fingers, that's for sure. Because that's who brought me up. And my Tamidim don't miss Minion. And my friends don't miss Minion. He was very, 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 very strong about it. And, and it paid off. I was there. I, I know the story. My mother, I mean, we all know the story. It's not a, it's not a secret. Okay. Anyway, that's, that's having a moon on a Kishbrochu. That's a human being can have, we can have that. We can be on that level. And I was screaming last night at my share. I'm like, how many guys come to shul? How many women come to shul? Or when they, when they dab it and they feel like they're talking to the chairman of the board of the world. To my father, it was a given. It wasn't like, he was like, he was like, well, what's the question? And he's like the chairman of the world of the world, and, and, and I have a meeting. At four o'clock is the meeting. Minnesota's at four o'clock. I have a meeting. How can I miss that meeting? But you're sitting with Petrie. Petrie? Petrie's a human being. He's the chairman of the board of, of Petrie. He's the chairman of the board of the world. Mm, where should I go? Like, it wasn't even a, it wasn't like he sat there like, eh, it wasn't even a question. You understand who Hashem is? It's not even a question. Something should disturb that? There's something more important than that? He's the chairman of the board of the world. And he says, and he told, I'm a worm. And he'll, he'll let me, t- He's like, come to me and talk to me three times a day, special, or any time that you want. You want to sit at the edge of your bed and talk to the chairman of the board of the world, everyone in this room can do it. Everyone in this room can do it. You can't get to Clinton. You can't get to all these other people. Right, Rabbi, right, right. he always does that with, with the girls in, in school. <coughs> Rabbi Ginsburg. He tries to call the president. He does that. It's one of his classes. Hello, the White House. Oh, the president, sorry, he's busy. You can send an email. You, can, you can't get to the president. And then he turns to the girls. He's like, open your sitter. Say, Animamim, you got to the president of the world. You didn't have to make a call. There's no secretary, no defense. They're not going through you. No. He said, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You're busy with the whole world when, when you can get through to Akash Baruch anytime. He says, just stop and pray to me and talk to me. This is the God that these girls in my room were talking about that is so mean and evil and vengeful. God should say, are you kidding me? You're a human being. You're going to die. You're going to be worm, worm food. I created the world. You can't talk to me. You can't just open a sitter and talk to me. Who are you to talk to me? You can't pick up and talk to Clinton. You can't even talk to a senator. You can't talk to the president of Bloomingdale's. You want to try to get to him. You get to the secretary, send me an email. Because Barclay's the creator of the world. He's the CEO. He's like, anytime you want. I said to this girl, what? You got a problem with God? He's vengeful and he's mean. He's like, I'm God and you can talk to me anytime you want. You don't got to go through a secretary and you don't got to go through some kind of checkpoints and security. Come to the castle. I was there. Two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock at night, whatever you want. Come to the Kaisla Shekhinah, Loi Zazif Ever. The Gemara says that the Shekhinah is there, it never left. It's always there. You don't gotta wait online, you're not going to a rebel, you gotta, you gotta know somebody. You know the Gabai? You know how to get in? You got connection, you got money, you got, yeah? You're poor, you have no money, you have nothing to give. You come to the Kaisla, put your head on the wall, Hashem's like, you're here, I'm here. I'm here. Tell me what you need. I'm here. No gabai, no connections, no protection. Doesn't cost you anything. 
You don't get to put money in the wall, and they said, okay, you have two minutes for $100. If you put in $200, you have four minutes. You know, 100%. It's never, it's never busy, and he never pushes ignore. When it rings. I think we just have this huge, huge misconception of who God really is. And I'm trying to change that conception. He's not a mean evil. He, 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 he created a world of consequence, and there is consequence, and he's not going to change that. But, but you can do tshuva, and you can change that. But if you, if you cut your arm off, then you don't have an arm. They've got to put their arm back on. So when a person does sins and he does certain things, Hashem tells us that the consequence of that sin is kares. And the consequence of that sin is misa. And the consequence of that sin is this. So first of all, don't do the sin. If you, and if you do the sin, then do tshuva. It's very simple. It's, a, it's one plus one equals two. All right. So I want to end with something that we're going to talk about in the next year also. But just the beginning of his Sefer, right, he says something that I've spoken before. He says the following. Okay, this is a very hard Tanat Ve'eliyahu. I don't understand it exactly. The Tanat Ve'eliyahu says, why is the mitzvah of Kivodayim next to Shemir Shabbos? He says, Even a person who is Mechal Shabbos, Haris and Nimchal, he's forgiven if he does Kibbutz of Aim. And it's very hard to understand because Shabbos is the most, is, is the hardest issue that there is. He says, But Mish Mizalza Bechavar Aviv Imo, Harihu Mizalzal, Kibiyachal Gam Bechavidish Al Kurdish Barachu. A person who disgraces the covet of his parents, it's like he disgraces the covet of God. Now he says something here. I don't know. I don't think any of you were here in the days when I spoke about this. This must go back at least 10 years. And I just found it interesting that, you know, I spoke about this 10 years. And he writes this in his book. And I'll tell you a crazy story. So he says the following. He says, Many times people come to me. And Gamaliel writes, And they cry out their hearts. On a lot of pain that they're finding and bringing up their children. The children are off the derech. The children are challenging them. And they ask me, because he's a Mokobol, what do I have to fix in order to get my kids back? He says, I need ruggedly ayas. I usually give them advice. They should go into their, into their souls and make a cheshbon anefesh. How did you treat your parents? Your kids are off the derech. The first thing you need to know is how did you treat your parents? Even when you were a little kid, Pagu Maybe you hurt them, or you mezalzel, you you embarrass them. And if you think you did, you better go to your parents, and you better go ask for for slicha. Now that doesn't mean that every kid that's off the derech is off the derech because the parents were bad when they were kids. There are many different reasons, but if you did give your parents trouble, you may have to pay a big price with your own kids. Pretty says clearly here. So I'm going to tell you. Um, tell you a story two stories that I spoke about 10 years ago because I was involved in them 10 years ago so I spoke in I spoke in Teaneck in a place called Base Aaron and I was talking about Kivrovim and I always talk about Kivrovim I was talking about different things anyway this guy comes over to me after my speech he goes Rabbi Wallstein I know that you deal with some like unusual things that, in those days I was very big in Kabbalah it was more than 10 years already I was learning with uh, 
Machloflasri, so I was very into Kabbalah. I spent a lot of time in Israel learning all kinds of secrets, and I was sort of talking about them, certain things that I saw, whatever it was. She said, you know, I have to ask you something. I'm like, sure. He says, you know, we have this, we have this boy, and he's 16 years old, he's a mom's a good kid, went to school, he's a good kid, whatever it is. He said, all of a sudden, he just turned into this monster. But not only that, he, not only he, he turned into this monster, he's always cursing his mother in public. He embarrasses her all the time in public. And it's like not his, it's not his, his, it's not his nature at all. He's like totally, he's very normal. But when it comes to his mother, he'll yell at her in front of everyone. He'll curse her after shul. And it's like, you look in his eyes, you see like he's like an animal. I don't know, maybe you could give the name to your makumal. Now I had just come from, and, and I had just learned about this. So I said, tell me, do you, what was your relationship with your parents? So the man says, they were Holocaust survivors. I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with them. We didn't have a relationship. I said, did you ever hit them? Did you ever curse them? No. I'm like, okay, then it's not you. What about your wife? So he calls her over. I just finished speaking. He calls her over. He says, oh, whatever her name, we'll make up her name. Miriam. Miriam. The rabbi wants to know about your relationship with your parents. She goes, oh, the relationship with my parents? I'm like, what? She says, I'm Sephardic. My husband's Ashkenaz. We're Moroccan. I lived in Israel. I met my husband. And when I told them I'm going to marry, they said, if you marry an Ashkenazi, the family's going to disown you. It's a true story. I told my mother, I don't really care. This is who I'm marrying. And I married them. And none of them came to my wedding. I married him. Says, my, my father died. And, and and they sort of disowned me. Like his, the sisters didn't talk to her. She was living in Teaneg. And they were living. They disowned her. So my father died. So I got a message that he died. And I told my husband, there's no way I'm going to sit shiv in Israel. With my, they don't talk to me. I don't want to be there. And you know what? The way they treated me, I'm not sitting shiv altogether. She didn't sit shiver for her father. And she didn't go to Israel. Her mother dies three years later. Same deal. She doesn't go to sit shiva. She doesn't sit shiva. She doesn't go to Israel. I said, I think you need to get forgiveness. I think because when something like what's happening to your son, and specifically against the mother, not the father, it's got to be some type of klipa, shade, something... Ruach that, that's in him against you because of the way you treated your mother. I said, I'm not sure. I'm not a god. I'm not a makobo. But I think go, go to Israel and speak to my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, at that time. Okay. And I said, I think you should go. They, they were buried in Israel. Both her parents were buried in Israel. The family was in Israel. Find out where they're buried. They were buried together in some, some small town out, out in, in the Negev. I think you should go. And I gave her a tefillah specifically to ask forgiveness from people who are dead. To go to a person, a grave, and ask Mechila. I had all a special tefillah to go. And in Kabbalah, we learned that you should take your shoes off, stand on the grave without your shoes on, barefoot, and, and ask, and ask Mechila. So, that's what I told her to do. And I said, on the way afterwards, go past my Rebbe and get a bracha. So they found they knew, that she knew where it was, and she went, and her husband told me, he called me from Israel, that she was staying there for hours and crying and asking forgiveness. And I'm sure that her mother and father forgave her, whatever it is. 
and they're on their way to Rabbi Gamliel. I'm like, great. They have the plane at one o'clock at night. It's like seven o'clock. Six, no, it wasn't seven o'clock. It was uh, it was before seven o'clock. Anyway, to make a long story short, they come to Rabbi Gamliel, and the phone will stop ringing. Don't worry. They came to Rabbi Gamliel, and he says to her, "What happened?" And she says, "What happened?" And he says, "You got no mechila whatsoever. You wasted your time." She's like, "What? We just flew." They mamish. I told them the story that night. They flew to Israel. So, so, so yeah, you got to turn the phone off. So, so, Gamliel says, "You wasted your time. You're not Michael." She's like, "What? We flew here for this." He said, "If you, if you don't go with a minion, if you don't go with a minion, you, 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 they can't forgive you. Why? Because you insulted your mother." By not coming to the shiva and by both parents, the public was talking about where's the fifth daughter. So you embarrass them in public. You have to ask mechila in public. So go get a minion. Which is too late. It was night. That they changed their whole flight to the next night. I connected them to a yeshiva. They sent ten boys with them, and she went back to the grave and she asked mechila and said the prayer and cried like you never heard anyone cry in front of the boys. And the Rosh yeshiva told me that these ten boys. We'll have the best kibbutz of the aim that anyone ever had after what they saw. To watch a woman cry like that and to her parents and ask forgiveness. Okay. They get on the plane. They come home. Within 30 days, this kid became totally normal. He's married today with kids. Gone. Gone. First story. Second story is even crazier. Second story happened with someone that I knew very well. His son started doing kukuruku things. He come in the middle of the night, uncover his, uncover his parents. He was just doing like the most unnormal things that could be. I said to myself, Teaneck, right? But I know these guys. I know the parents. They were, they were very nice. They had a good relationship with their parents. So I'm like, no, no, let's take him along. Let's go to Re- my Rebbe's Rebbe. We'll go to all the Mukulalim and all the Gedalim. This kid was doing like impossible stuff. So we come to Rebbe Gamliel and I'm with my friend and, and this boy, whatever it is. And um, Rogamil says to the boy, step out of the room for a minute. And he turns to, and I'm like, should I go out also? And then my friend, no, no. My friend says, no, you're not leaving me here alone. <laughs> you're not going out. You're standing right next to me. I'm like, okay. Rogamil, true story. Rogamil looks at my friend and he says to him, now what, what this boy was doing was he was slapping, he was beating his father. He, he was a big guy and he would punch and slap his father. Really, it's crazy. Mother's father it was crazy. He was out of control. So Galil looks at my friend and he says, You hit your father? Why did you hit your father? I'm like, No way. And my friend's like, um, One time. My father, I was 17 years old, and my father slapped me across the face. It was just a reaction. I turned around, I slapped him back across the face. I was like, Oh boy. Rigamil said, You go right now to your father's grave, he's also not alive, and you stand there and you ask Machila because you, you physically hit him. You need I said, A minion, minion, minion? And my Rebbe said, No, he doesn't need a minion. He didn't do he did it privately. And Kachaya, my friend, went and he cried and he davened and he went a few times, whatever it is. And Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, his son is normal. He's normal. It stopped. So, how we treat our parents, what goes around, what comes around, the biggest consequence of being, of, of not treating your parents correctly is that you will feel the same pain 
that you're causing your parents through your children or grandchildren. It doesn't mean that every kid that's off the derech, his parents, that your parent hit somebody or did that. There are many other things that can cause many other things. And sometimes it has nothing to do with you. My Rebbe always says that. Moshe Rabbeinu, who was a better, who was a better man than Moshe Rabbeinu? He gave up his whole life for Christ. Well, he gave up his wife. He gave up his kids. He gave up everything. What happened to his kids? He had two children. He named them Gershon, right? Gershon and, Elo, and, Elo, and Eliezer. Eliezer? Eliezer. Kikele Avi Azri. Eliezer and Gershon. Anybody ever hear them? Nothing. Nothing. He names them as children. Did they become the mixed leader? No, Yahushua. Not Moshe's kid. Did they become a Nasi of a Shevet? No. Nothing. Even derogatory things in the Medrash. Even, not good things, but derogatory things. Is that fair? Shabbat gave his whole life? Who gave up more than that? How can his two kids not become anything? The answer is, Kishbosh runs the world. And he has Kishbosh. That Yitzhak had an Esau. That, 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 that Dovin HaMelech, Dovin HaMelech, the seed of Mashiach, had an Avshalom. And an Adniyahu? What did he do wrong, David Amelech? Give up his life for Klai Yisrael. That Yosef Atzadik, from him came one of the biggest oiv they avoided Zoro, Menashe, after what he went through, what he did? It doesn't always make sense. Many times it doesn't make sense. That's a Kreshbochus Cheshman. But you need to know that if you mistreat your parents, in the spiritual DNA, it's very possible that your children will mistreat you. So if you've done that, you need, especially if they're alive, it's a lot easier than going to their grave and taking off your shoes and you can, you can give them a hug and a kiss and you can ask them forgiveness and they can forgive you in this generation so that you don't have to go through it with your kids. And not only that you shouldn't go through it, but it's a mitzvah. It's one of the Aseris Adibros. It's one of the Aseris Adibros. Take your mother out. Take your father out. Call them for Shabbos, whatever it is. Again, you don't have to be abused. If they cause you aggravation and agita, then stay away. There's no mitzvah kibbutz of aim. You can stay away. You don't have to. You don't have to call. You should call. Just say good Shabbos. But if they, every time you call, it ends up being a bashing, don't call. There's no halacha that you have to call because in the end, the Torah says that you come first, even before your parents. If you could save your life or save the, or, your, or your parents' life, halacha is you have to save your life. And then I'll tell you when that really hurts. The Misha says that if you could save your parents' life or your Rebbe's life, you have to save your Rebbe's life. And the Gemara says, why? Because your parents brought you into this world and your Rebbe brought you into the next world. And the next world is forever. So you have to save your Rebbe's life. So I asked a question and I said, Rebbe, it's so nice. But I ain't saving your life. <laughs> if they got a gun pointed at you and they got a gun pointed at my father, I'm saving my father's life. That's the truth. I'm not saving you. So how could the Gemara say that? How could that be the halacha? When you know no one's going to keep it. I'm not. My father, my Rebbe, I love you, Rebbe, but if I can only save one, I'm saving my father, my mother, or my Rebbe. Come on. So I asked, how could you do that? And my Rebbe said something amazing. So of course the Gemara knows that. 
The Gemara is talking to every parent. Make sure you're his Rebbe too. And then he won't have any problems making the decision. Thank you very much. Have a good week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.